Hi, Jesse. Hi, Amy. And uh, hello, all of our listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, how are you, Jess? I am, uh, you know, stressed. Stressed as, as what per about usual. Time? I'm, uh, yeah, I I'm know, electorally right? stressed. I'm governmentally stressed. I may I'm or like may not have eaten stressed. half a bag of Trader Joe's uh, peanut filled peanut butter pills for I can't even say oh. it. I cannot even get the word Wait, peanut you butter pills pretzels the, out of my mouth. The dark chocolate peanut butter cups? Is that what you're saying? No. You know the pretzels oh. that they make that are filled with peanut butter? They're killer. No. They're so oh, good. yes. So I the ate my feelings. The salted or I don't mess around. Yeah. I've, like, accidentally bought the unsalted, and it's no, been, that is like, wrong. Oh. Self-flagellation. I was like, no, no. You know how you Why could tell? Do this? Because the no salt bag is red, like Republican, and the salted oh. bag is blue, like Democrat. That is exactly to remember. <laughs> yes, go blue. All Thank the way. you. Life hack. Yeah. <laughs> She's blue. So Amy, I feel like right we're, we have so much to talk about, but we just have to mention that you know, if you thought you could stop calling your senators. You can't. So. No, you never can. No, and uh, this time we will we will just thank you in advance for calling your senators about HB thirty six, which which is <laughs> tell tell everyone what okay. it is. Okay, so HB thirty six would um, is House Bill thirty six, and it would um, can I just I'm just going to call it the Tim Murphy bill. Who, yeah, um, might as well. you know, vehemently opposes abortion except in cases when his mistress might be pregnant. And did you see he resigned today? He did resign, but only after he voted for, for this bill. Well, yeah. So, after he I, you know, he fucked over women. Don't in, care for his resignation. Several senses. Exactly. So, this bill would prevent or oppose abortion after 20 weeks, including cases of non viability of the fetus. It's ridiculous for a lot of reasons, but call call your senators. Tomorrow, the House also votes on a bill that would strip Medicaid of, I think, half a trillion dollars, like something that doesn't even, I can't even conceive of what that money looks like. But that also mm-hmm. includes a provision that would strip the Obama, the, the contraception coverage from the Obamacare function. So just, you know, whatever free time you thought you had, you don't. We're going to spend that time talking to your elected officials. Thank you very much in advance. Good? Yeah. Great. Good. Oh, and then there's something else related to that. For those people who need to enroll in the ACA, they have a on the website that you need to enroll on the ACA, they have a, like, they're closing the website for scheduled maintenance, which is complete bullshit because they're just trying to keep people from signing up for ACA before the deadline is up. So, right. I think is the window for re-enrollment, I think it's between, like, October 16th and November. Oof. You know, we, we'll definitely tweet this out, but, but yeah. on October 16th, hop on that website and, and re-enroll. So October 16th is the first day that you can you can that you can re-enroll. Yes, re-enroll. Um, I think okay. November 1st is enrollment period. <laughs> is open enrollment. Um, You're just a wealth I, of knowledge. I I am a font of terrified information. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to do, and you know they're deliberately keeping this information from the public, and it, it is really mm-hmm. unethical and really scary. So anyway. In other okay, things Jess, that are scary, Amy. All right. I'm going to tell you 
about my lift ride from hell. And then we're going to like bring up the mood post horrific story. (laughs) But I just have to like get this off my chest. All right. So I told you a little bit about this, but then there are new developments because all right, I'm I'm going to just tell the story first and then say the new developments for you. Okay, so this past Saturday night, I was coming home from my friend's birthday party in Park Slope at like very late at night, like 1.30 in the morning, and I'm getting a lift line. So we pick up a passenger in Park Slope. And then we, like, drive a block and pick up, like, we're waiting for another passenger, which turns out to be, like, two guys. And they, like, can't find the car. So they're, like, calling the driver, whatever. Like, just, I don't know. They must have been drunk because they were, like, are you a blue Honda when it's, like, a black SUV, which the Lyft app tells you. But regardless. So... I so like they finally find the car after waiting we're waiting like five minutes so then like one guy gets in the front passenger seat one guy gets in the back and the so guy in the, in the back car with like, three men and a driver yeah so the guy who sits in the back like the passenger who was already in the car with me slides over to the middle and then the one who gets in the back he has like a box of pizza and so he like comes in and he's like, okay, who's getting off, who's getting dropped off first? Because I just need to make a little detour. Apparently he hadn't put in his drop off point and he wanted to be dropped off separately from what his friend had put in, I guess, in the route through the app. So he wanted to like see if we would like drop him off first, I guess. And the guy in the middle is like, dude, the computer sets the route, so we can't really do that. And I was like, I chimed in, (laughs) as I do. do. And I was like, we already waited five minutes for you to find the car. We're not dropping you off first. All right. Side note, I was being dropped off first, and I wanted to get the fuck home. Right. Um. So the guy with the pizza is like, listen, Becky, I know how Uber works. I take Uber every day to and from work. And I'm like, oh, am I supposed to be offended that you call me Becky from, like, quoting a Beyonce song to me? Like, am I supposed to be offended that you think that I'm a basic white bitch? And so, like, then the gloves are off. And, like, he's going – he's like – what race are you? What ethnicity are you? And I'm like, why does that fucking matter? And he asked me several times and I kept saying, why does that matter? Because, okay, clearly I'm white, but really I wanted to know like to him, why does that matter? Because I'm not the one who's acting like entitled here. Like I'm just like, no, I'm routed to be dropped off first, which the formula in the app the size is the most convenient for everybody. So that's the way it's going to happen. So he's like, have you ever, have you ever been abused or assaulted? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, have you ever been abused? Because I bet you have, I would understand if you had been abused. If you weren't white, I'd punch you. 
And I was like, so you'd punch a black woman? And he's like, yeah. And so meanwhile, like, all right, the guy in the middle is dead silent. The driver is dead silent. His friend is like, dude, stop. Like, you know, very, like, like, passively, I guess. So then, like, by now, I guess we're about at um, Grand Army Plaza, which is, like, halfway to my apartment. And um, so I'm, like, looking down at my phone because I'm, like, I just, like, I, I don't know. That's just, like, second nature to do in an uncomfortable situation, I guess. Right. So as I'm looking down at my phone, this guy pulls the pizza, a slice of pizza, out of the box, reaches across the middle passenger, smears it down my chest, skirt, and phone. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I was completely, like, in shock that it might have almost seemed like I was unfazed. But I was like, are you serious? And well, I think I, like, shock sort of does that to you. And now he's also violated your personal space in this completely bizarre yes, way. But appar- apparently, like, my lack of response, like wasn't what he wanted like clearly he wanted like an outraged response from me like he wanted to get a reaction and I was just I mean and what did the guy in the middle who he reached over do when this happened okay so uh, first before he did anything did he say don't do that to this girl no he was nothing he said nothing so I like grabbed the slice of pizza off of my phone and I, like, reached back over and, like, put it on this other guy. And so it was dark. It landed wherever it landed. I don't really give a shit where it landed. So then, like, we're we're stopped at a light at Empire Boulevard. And um, the guy in the middle is like, can I, can I just get out? I didn't sign up for this. So the guy in the middle wants to get out of the car. All right, which is fair. But he could have, like, so at clearly least the driver said, also... like, stop. Exactly. And now the driver is aware that, like, Oh, abuse and behavior said, is happening in his car. Is he doing anything about this? No. So what I I had even like explicitly said to the driver, I was like, driver, there is pizza all over the back seat of your car now because this guy just smeared it all over me. I mean, the driver, the the guy in the middle between us, like completely silent. So I open the door. I let this guy out. Bear in mind, I don't live in the safest of neighborhoods, so I'm not going to be walking home. I want to be able to have my lift ride completed to my apartment. <laughs> like, God forbid. So I, I, like, am back in the car. This other guy, he's just out now. He's, I don't know where he is. I guess he walked home. But um, so then, like, it's just me and this crazy guy in the back. And once I got back in the car, the guy is just, he's just, like, telling me to get out. Like, he's completely, like, enraged that I am not getting out. He was, like, Giving him the attention that he wanted. And I was, like, no, I'm getting, I'm not getting out. Like, I'm taking this car home. And he's, like, shut up. I can't even stand your vocal fry. And then I'm, like, trying to tell the driver to, like, leave me. At the corner of Flatbush and Midwood, I mean, because instead of rather, like, instead of going around the block, you know, because of the one-way streets. And so, like, he's like, shut up. I can't even stand your vocal fry. God, you have, you have love handles. You probably make, like, 60K, and you're going home single. You're alone. You're pathetic. And I'm like, you think I make 60K? <laughs> 
okay? Like, I was like, what are you talking about? Because all of, like, it's like he was reaching into his arsenal of, like, his tried and true most sexist comments that he could think of. It was, this, and, was a, this was a power move on every single level. I know. This was He's, just, like, yeah. making every assumption that he can to, like, try to offend me or make me feel inferior. Diminished and scared. Exactly. And, like, well, and, and also, like, because, I tell you, I think it's hilarious because if he knew what a teacher makes, he would 60,000. It's not like that. And I it think would it's take like, me, like, 97 years of changing diapers to make that. It's really funny. But it was such a power play, like you said, because, like, I mean, I'm sure this whatever, I don't know how much he makes, but I'm sure he was trying to gauge, like, the salary, which would be insulting to make himself seem like he was making that much more. Do you know what I mean? No, he hit every, like, crossed every sexist T and dotted every misogynistic I on the list. Exactly. And, like, it enrages me that he had had that arsenal like totally ready to pull from and also that like, no, so when you told me the story th- that in itself was horrifying but mm-hmm. was what was more scary in a way was that no one else in the car was shocked no one enough else did anything. to do anything Mm-mm. no so so we like pull up to my apartment which also is really unnerving that like this guy even knows where I live as he's telling me that like my my husband has cheated on me this morning I'm like dude you're so fucking weak and pathetic and I just like got out slammed the door oh and before I got out I said to the driver I was like I hope you give this passenger a very poor review because like what am I gonna say (laughs) it pisses me off that like like I like thinking back I wish I had done so much more like but also, I'm, like, glad that I didn't stoop to his level because, like, I wasn't making any personal attacks on him. But it's also because, like, I don't have this arsenal of, like, sexist insults that I feel are going to tear him down like men do for women. You know what I mean? So it's it's almost like I felt, like, completely impotent because I didn't have that. But I also felt kind of a little bit proud of myself for not stooping to that level but then it was you know it's like so conflicting and I was like very very upset like when I came back upstairs like my whatever neighbor person I'm seeing boyfriend he like came up he came in my apartment I was like raging crying yelling for like an hour like I was so fucking pissed like not because anything he had said to me hurt my feelings but because like this is what he's equipped with and this is what he thinks is okay like he actually thinks that it's okay to say to a woman I would punch you if you weren't white and then if I say you would punch a black woman he said yeah like what the fuck is wrong with this person that's what I want to know. And what the fuck is wrong with everybody else who, like, said nothing? Right. Ah. Uh, right. Was, I like, think it's so upsetting. And the next really... day, like, no. No, I, you know, I, when, even when you first, it's taken me such a long time to, like, process what I've processed. It wouldn't even happen to me. I know. So, like, the next day. I think I told day... you that the reason, like, you know, I don't even have Lyft or Uber. Mm-hmm. I, I don't use them. 
and I I think I've taken a cab like three times in New York, and I've lived here almost my entire yeah. life. And th- and people are shocked, but the reason is that it scares me to be trapped in a car with like what is usually going to be a man. Um, mm-hmm. And that seems irrational, and I know that, but I won't do it. Um, I've you know what? It doesn't it. actually seem irrational. It seems like you're smart. <laughs> well, you know, I know two people who've been sexually assaulted by Uber drivers, but this was way before that. Oh but, like, God. you know, just being in a taxi is, but you know, I'm a subway girl. I'd rather take the subway or walk. Yeah. But, yeah. and so when you told me the story, it was like, oh, fuck, I have to add. Like, there's so many things that we just have to keep adding to the list of things that we mm-hmm. have to worry about and be afraid of. and have you know to be self-protective of and know how to defend ourselves against like that list just keeps on growing and it is exhausting and and aggravating yeah and the fucking subway like how do you show that and you know what i'm like finding is a theme that like when i get in confrontations with men and they like want to like use these i guess like talking points it's like they get so pissed if it's not affecting you. Like, they get so pissed if it's not tearing you apart. So then they'll escalate it more and more and more. And it's I think like, we see that with Trump. You know, oh, I think he's yeah. the classic, it's a you know, archetype. And the version, right, exactly. We yeah. I see that with little kids in a, in a totally different way. You know, all you have to do to, like, you know, you don't feel the fire. You don't give them attention. And the game is done. But I think what we see with they with just want to the, escalate it to like points, like to measures that you wouldn't really ever have imagined would be possible. Like this is a fucking crazy story. Right. And then okay, so let me tell you what happened today. So I get an email that my list account. All right. So hold on. Let me backtrack and say like I had all intentions of reporting this to Lyft and just letting them know what happened because I, you know, like, I don't think the driver, yeah, like, I don't necessarily think the driver is 100% at fault, but I think that they should have some protocol to stop this if Well, I think if somebody is in your car and is abusing another passenger or a driver or whatever, then you stop the car and don't keep driving that person. Yeah. Like, the driver should be able to say to that passenger, get out of the car. So that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, as you know, so it's like in the moment, I mean, the next day people, well, no, the next day I didn't really talk about it, but like Stephen is like, why didn't, like he told his roommate and his roommate was like, why didn't you call the police? Like that's not anything that would have occurred to me, not to mention there was literally pizza smeared all over my phone and it was like not functional to like cleaned it off when I got right. home. Okay, so I get an email today that my account is suspended because what? a passenger, yeah, a passenger has reported um, an incident and well, there is an investigation. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, if anybody should be reporting an incident, it's me. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I guess now I have to like detail everything oh, that yes. happened verbatim. Oh no. So I did. I mean, at first I was like, can somebody please call me about this? Because I was verbally and physically assaulted in the back of this car by another passenger. 
I was just like in my head, like, what if it was the guy with the pizza, like totally lying about what happened just to like further terrorize me. Mm. And I was just getting so worked up and I was at work today, like during all this. So I just like emailed, like I'm pretending that I'm like writing a work email, like very (laughs) furiously for like half an hour. And I like wrote a detailed account of what happened and I sent it to Lyft. And I mean, to Lyft credit, they called me back right away. I mean, they were very apologetic. He was, he was basically like, I can't believe that happened to you. And, and he was, he told me that it was the middle, (laughs) the middle passenger who got out at Empire Boulevard is the one who reported the incident. Yeah. And why did he report you? Half of it. Yeah, I know. Because I think he probably just didn't want to pay for his lift, his lift line. <laughs> so I think he just reported that this happened and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a defense of me clearly, but I think he was just like, oh, I was probably in the middle of a food fight. And I mean, I'm guessing, but it wasn't anywhere near the um, level of detail that I went into because the guy handling my case was like I had no idea and like he was so apologetic that I was like I literally brought me to tears and I was like crying in the showroom at work like as I was telling him and I was like I don't understand why Lyft doesn't have a protocol to prevent this from happening or stop it from happening in the middle of it and he was like well I mean our drivers are independent contractors and yes he should have made the other passengers get out but it's like it's really hard to measure like how much of the onus like is on him, right. because he was probably scared as scared as I was. You know what I mean? Like, how are you going to force these two guys out of your car? And right, I don't know. Right. Like, it sucks because because you tell them to get out of your car, and if they don't, you say you're going to call the police. That's yeah, I mean, I wish he had done that because it was already escalated and I feel like there should have been like some countermeasure that was just as extreme as like what I was dealing with. But yeah, he didn't do it. And so I So what is Lyft going like, to do? I mean, they refunded me like the four dollars of my Lyft line. Mm-hmm. They were like apologetic. Two subway rides. <laughs> I know. They said that, like, necessary measures have been taken against the other passenger, which, I mean, I don't really know what that means. And um, I did ask that they, like, inform the driver that if this happens again, that he should ask, like, he should be asking people who are, like, causing these offenses or, like, verbally, physically assaulting another passenger to get the fuck out of the car. So, I mean, he said the lift guy said that he would do that and that was my that was my lift story i'm so sorry that happened Ugh, it's just like i feel like this whole week has been like really drawing attention to the cluelessness of a lot of people in regards to sexism <laughs> i mean like we can talk about ken newton like <laughs> like, oh, he's such an upstanding guy. He does so much for kids and blah, blah, blah. But then, like, he says stupidly sexist thing, which, like, a comment like that, that's something that he inherently believes. Like, he inherently 
apparently believes that a female sports reporter doesn't know anything about routes, so it's funny for her to be talking about it. Like, that's something, that's his worldview, and that's a sexist worldview, and so he should be being called out for being sexist. Yeah, so give us a little, so I, in my, in one of my other lives, um, mm-hmm. right articles for and podcasts about the right kind of football, which you play with your feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. I'm an so American football you, like, Yeah. I guess no, it's my no, better no. judgment. <laughs> I know. No. Um, I'm wrong. My family comes from the right America, which is the South. <laughs> anyway. Like, I'm not going to defend American football because I have very conflicted feelings about it. Right. But that's fine. So you just give us a quick overview of what happened, like who, Cam Newton, what's the good, and then we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. Wait. Okay. So Kim, wait, hold on. What? <laughs> right. I know he did good things and everyone loved him. But, like, well, I don't know okay. why they loved him because he just didn't win a World Cup. I mean, oh, right. No, he hasn't won any World Cups. All right, I'm like no Ken Newton fan. Let's just like I didn't. Even, I don't even know if he's like a quarterback yeah. or like a hunchback. Okay, so he is. <laughs> he's the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, and he happens to be like Stephen's number one uh, football hero, which is very problematic. It was very problematic during dinner last night. I can tell you that. So, um, can we just get Steven a Kaepernick jersey and like call it a day? <laughs> he would not wear it. Okay, so so what happened was Cam Newton says to a female reporter, I I don't remember her name, uh, but I'm actually getting breaking news from him right now. He's like texting me, totally distracting me from our conversation that Cam Newton just apologized. But what he did, he did. It was a, not a good, I mean, it was someone not else a good wrote it. And it was one of these like, I'm so sorry yeah. if anyone was offended by my, yes, we were fucking offended by your remarks, dude. Yeah. Like, don't apologize if people like, are I offended. Can tell a apologize for like what you're saying. And I was saying. offended. Yes. So like, okay, if people haven't pick, picked up the message Basically, Kim Newton said that it was funny to hear a female reporter asking about routes. So, like, this female reporter has been following the team for years. Uh, he doesn't know her name. There's only, like, a handful of reporters that follow the Panthers. But, I mean, he right. doesn't so, sorry, know her, her name. name. Her name is Georgia, Jordan Rodrigue. And I oh, know okay. of her because she's one of only a very few, again, not uh-huh. a football, American football girl. She's one of a... a select few um female sports journalists and sportscasters and she this woman knows her shit like uh-huh. i've heard her talk about football in a way where i'm like oh i, I know what she means i i yeah. never watched an inning half you know quarter also, and i can still be like um, yes girl that is a touchdown yeah, football isn't that hard to figure out, especially considering that it's women who um, calculated the trajectory to land on the moon, okay? Right. Yes, but also, like, like, Jordan Rodriguez, is, even... she is clear, she's concise, and she, when she talks football, you could tell that this is a woman who studies and knows and, like, lives and breathes the game. But this is my, this is my big issue with this, 
because I was having a conversation with Stephen about this last night, and, and I was like, all right, at first he jumps to defend Cam Newton, and I was like, as I'm cooking him dinner, I was like, don't even sit in my kitchen <laughs> defending Cam Newton, telling me he's not sexist, when this is clearly a sexist thing that he said. Like, that's like saying that someone who says a racist thing isn't racist. Like, if that's something that you believe, even if you think you're still a good guy in other aspects, this is this is who you are. And I mean, yeah, he came around, but he was like, yeah, like, I mean, I feel bad for female sports reporters. And I'm like, no, you need to look at the broader picture. Like, this is subversive sexism that affects all women in basically every aspect of our lives. Like, right. subversive sexism, like, that they... He's like, oh, he's not an abject sexist. Like, what the fuck is an abject sexist? Like a rapist, misogynist Donald Trump? No. Like, thank God that the earth isn't crawling with Donald Trump. Right. It's Trump. the difference. Look, he's not, not like, Ben Roethlisberger. See, I uh-huh. can name players. Um, oh. <laughs> whatever. Right? Thanks. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I think that um, the conversation, the conversation obviously is a little skewed because he's been getting rightfully attacked for yeah. the nature of his comments, were, which were mm-hmm. not – they were so sexist. They were also so idiotic. I mean, dude, this is not the Victorian era. Like, this wasn't even 1950s. Mm-hmm. This was just – this was completely stupid. But apparently, like, there were people attacking him, like, with racist taunts. And so, uh-huh. and there, so there were people put like one of my friends who's a a, a sports writer said that mm-hmm. she was put in this really tricky position of like attacking him for his sexism, but mm-hmm. defending the sort of trying to like put herself between racism and sexism. I mean, it's just really like skewing what the whole thing is about. I mean, right. no, so like. Racism doesn't have to be brought into it, but like exactly. what he said was really ignorant. And, and it really affects yeah, it, well, it it affects the game. I mean, you know, you're a football fan. I I was watching World Cup qualifiers today and right before halftime, the camera does like a sweep of the the spectators coming back in and they focus on every like they only focus in on women who are wearing like tight shirts or low cut mm-hmm. tops or whatever. And it felt so alienating. Like minutes mm-hmm. before I had been like texting everyone I knew and like WhatsApping my family about like, you know, not breathing for 45 minutes, and, like watching the match and what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden I was taken out of it because it was like the camera was telling me like, this game is not for you. This game is mm-hmm. for like, you know, macho men who just want to look at tits and ass. That's yeah. what it says. And it it's is like the machismo. I can't, yeah. I can't take it. It's like, yeah. why can't sports be for everybody? The men are like, no, the sports are just for us. And it is, but we have like to women, fight. Women do understand sports as well. And we play sports pretty well also. And in some cases, even better than men, but whatever. But like, why do we have to fight <laughs> our way there? Con- it is a constant fight. You know, it's a yeah. daily effort, like reaffirmation. And that's what's so hard. I want to do yeah. a Amy, can I do a shout out? Can I do that? Yes. Yeah. Yay. So the, the website that I, and, and magazine that I write for, um, about soccer, they are called Unusual Efforts because they took her name mm-hmm. from like an awesome Clara Booth Luce quote 
that it takes an unusual effort for women to do what men do usually, um, <laughs> which I love. And so it's she, all, Hillary Clinton. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's all women and um, non-binary people doing the writing and all the art, and it's about soccer and the intersection of sports and culture and politics. And I like love that I have this little community, so everyone should check out that's awesome. unusual efforts and the great work that they do. I'm going to check it out, and maybe we can have some people on our podcast. I know, but I'm thinking they're so great. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, I think that you should maybe return the Cam Newton shit until he writes a better apology. Uh, Sorry, told, Stephen. I told him, I was like, we're returning those tweets, and he's like, no! And I was like, yeah, and we're burning no, no, no. Either he needs to be a soccer fan, or he needs, like, Kaepernick stuff. Yeah, I'm Sorry. just not sure, like, how <laughs> this has to go down, but I will tell you, like, some plan that we concocted earlier this evening, which might help him redeem himself, both, well, I'm really talking about Stephen here, um, just <laughs> for defending, just for defending Cam, like, Cam is beyond really redeeming himself at this point, he's going to have to do a lot more than this, but Stephen has this trip planned to Detroit this weekend to watch the Detroit Lions play the Carolina Panthers. He's, like, flying for this shit. So he, what we were, like, saying with him and his friend who's also going is, like, you should dress up as a woman and hold up a sign which says, men explain football to me. Like, how, <laughs> that would be good. That would be fucking good. And he would get on TV, and I think he has to do it. Like, he's, he's on his way over now so that I can pick out his outfit for this Perfect. little thing. <laughs> just, just whatever he wears, make it be the blue of both Democrats and salted peanut butter-filled pretzels. Yeah, just like a nice blue. A, blue, yeah. a calming blue. A, calming like a blue. safe, A safe blue. <laughs> No. Just like your dog. Your dog's Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. What else do we have to yeah. talk about? Well, I feel like uh, we have some things to hit up. We do. So, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> um, Harvey Weinstein, to the surprise of absolutely no one um, who ever went on an audition anyway, um, was, I don't know, like outed today, I guess, <laughs> or yesterday. Wait, was um, what? Like, outed, I don't even know, like, unearthed to be a serial harasser of women. Yep. And I said, like, everyone should go read the Times article, um, applaud the women who spoke um, about their experiences. But I think that the only surprise for me was that, actually, not even, nothing was surprising about this. Um, what was sad about it was that it took so long when really this was, like, the worst kept secret in Hollywood. For I think it drew a lot of parallels to what happened with Judd Apatow a couple, I think it was, like, last month or a couple weeks ago or something, where um, his now ex-wife also wrote, like, an expose about how when he, when they separated, he wrote her this, like, you know, heartbroken letter about how he had cheated on her throughout their marriage with young women on his sets and Mm -hmm. um, young starlets and how he was like, it was because he was such a champion of women. Like he loved women so much. And it also drew a parallel. And this one breaks my heart to 
Louis C.K. And I've known this for, or I've heard about this. Um, I heard about this a couple years ago when I was living in Hollywood, and I was acting, but a bunch of my friends were um, are still doing comedy, and the comedy world is a very close knit one and also a super uh like boys club um mm-hmm. and it was rocked by a rape scandal that you know we've talked about another time and, and anyone can look up but okay. um a friend of mine was at a an open mic night and Louis C.K. was there and she came back to my apartment really upset Louis C.K. was like her idol um, and we uh-huh. love Louis C.K. You know, he does the thing about how, you know, of course, women should be afraid to go on dates because every time we go on a date, it's like going on a date with a lion. Like, you know, he he's such a feminist, we think, we say, in his in his comedy, you know. Yeah, and his abortion, and his, uh, his he's Netflix so, special, he talks about, like, uh, women should definitely be able to choose to have an abortion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he's so outspoken. And my friend came back to my apartment, and she was crying, and she said that um, Louis C.K. spoke to her, and it was great, and he, he um, complimented her on her set, and she was like, life is complete, this is so great. And then he um, masturbated in front of her. What? On her shoes. Yeah. Wait, and, what? In yeah. what context? I mean, like, they they were, like, hanging out, mm-hmm. like, not at the club. Okay. At the, at the comedy club. What? And apparently... This is like a thing. This is like known. Like she told a friend who also does comedy, and the friend's response was, "Oh yeah, no, he just does that." Not. Oh my god. Right. So I had no idea. Was so I was I was auditioning mostly for theater, but also for some like you know minor, super minor like TV commercially things, and I started mm-hmm. to notice that you know there were some. The auditions that I would go in for and friends would warn me in that way that wasn't like, oh, no, don't go out for this. Mm-hmm. You know, creepy things will happen, but more like, oh, just so you know, that one's going to be creepy. Mm-hmm. It, and and the, those warnings are like that kind of, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, everyone knows. Is is the yeah. Harvey Weinstein thing. Everyone in right. the Harvey Weinstein article said, oh, we all knew. Mm-hmm. We knew he yeah. was going to massage that girl. We knew he was going to ask to be massaged. We knew he was going to ma- uh-huh. Really? This is the yeah. this is why we have Trump. We let this happen. We as a society for uh-huh. years let this happen. His lawyer, Lisa Bloom, excused him, excused Harvey Weinstein by saying he's an old dinosaur. Like, oh poor Harvey doesn't what? know any better. You know what? Harvey Weinstein is A, not that old. B yeah. he's not an old dinosaur, he's an old predator for one thing. Age doesn't excuse this. What does excuse this is this culture of masculinity and entitlement that led to that guy in your list car, that led to Bill Cosby yeah. and Roger Ailes and fucking Bill O'Reilly and, you know, mm-hmm. everything that we have all the way up to Trump. And I don't know and what like, to do about it. How do we start breaking that down? Using that, like anybody excusing that, that's just complicity. And like he, that is just as bad as the middle passenger who was like, I need to right. get out of here. I think we have a lot of high powered people or like uh, bystanders who excuse it, which yeah. is a huge problem. But I, I think and you are not like this. You are a lot people. braver. Yeah. It's like everybody fuck up because 
That is yes, how, but what you're saying. You know, I also remember, like, I I didn't back down from any of those auditions, and I didn't do anything about it. I just went in on audition. I don't know if this is because I was, like, you know, in my early 20s, or I was just, like, a unknown, like, nobody, powerless actress, but, like, I went on all those auditions and, like, didn't say anything and, like, took whatever creepiness happened so I think that like yeah I don't blame any of these women for taking the settlements and the payouts but also like nothing's going to change unless all of it changes well I don't blame anyone for taking the payouts or going on the auditions because that's kind of like survival mode in LA but I do blame like the lawyers who would defend like especially female lawyers like just saying oh he's an old dog like that's a terrible defense you say oh like this murder is old so therefore like just excuse him he's just set in the ways of like the wild west where they yeah, like, you know, she even said she was like by a duel in Harvey Weinstein's apology, he was like, oh, it was the, I was raised in the 60s and 70s. I was like, you know who else was? John Lewis. You know? Yeah, like, a lot of been a fucking really civil fucking woke pioneer, people. you asshole. That's like, it's so patronizing and condescending. Like, who the fuck do you think is going to fall for that? Like, I know. That's like, that's, that just adds insult to injury. I know. I'm like, you know what? I, we could put a lot of people who were raised in the 60s and 70s who did, like, unbelievably progressive, amazing, revolutionary things. I'm not falling for that. No. No. That's just insulting to everyone else of his generation. Right. Or you could have just been, um, like, a normal, boring person who, like, didn't molest people. Like, that would have been fine, too. But yeah, no. that's, that's also okay. You don't even have to, like, you just have to not be assaulting people. Right. I'll take or, that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. baseline. I know. Pretty easy, um, actually. So, okay. Speaking of lawyers, though. It is a great segue <laughs> to um, the rest of our podcast, which is me interviewing a very special lady who is a feminist lawyer and my friend, um, Caroline Piella Cohen. And she actually specializes in cases like defending or reaching settlements for women who are not defending, I guess, but reaching settlements, because why should they need to be defended? Um, women who are in a hostile work environment or need to bring lawsuits for adequate paid family leave, et cetera. So she is going to tell us more about that. I'm so excited in the for this interview. I feel like this is weirdly such good timing <laughs> considering everything that's going on um and yeah so i think that there are just like constant attacks on women so it's just easy to kind of tie it together yeah, but this week it it just ties into our theme of um just sticking up for other women would be great and she also sounds like a great role model you were saying that she's like just unapologetic about her ambitions she's, and yeah, she like she wants to be a judge. She owns it, and I feel like everybody su- should support her and all women in their lives who have ambitions. Um, and nobody deserves it more than her. And we need more women on the bench to begin with. So, yeah, here we go. We'll give it a listen. Today I have with me Caroline Piella Cohen, who in my book is a pretty 
politically elite person. Caroline, I've referred to you many times on this podcast anticipating this interview. So welcome. <laughs> this is incredibly fun. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, I've been looking forward to talking to you. So for our listeners, I met Caroline, I guess, last November. I started this informal little group of women. We called ourselves. Pretty amazing group of women. I, I think it's yes. an description. Very amazing group. And we call ourselves the Broken Bosom Bitches. And uh, it was really just to, I guess, commiserate about the outcome of the election and inspire each other to actually get involved so that we could try and make changes in whatever way we could. And then really just for resource sharing and kind of like, hey, uh, I'm going to this protest. Are you going to go? Do you want to go with me? Exactly. We'll decide. Yeah. Um, but also since then, we've been doing some other, I'd say, like meaningful things just in a variety of ways. So, Caroline, you came to our, I guess it was our first brunch meeting, and I was like ranting about the Reproductive Health Act to whoever came <laughs> for the uh, getting it passed this at the state Senate. Right. And I'm just trying to like remember, that was our first meeting, right? That That's was our first, first meeting, and it's so funny because I, I've said this to you before, Amy, but it's worth saying again. I was so wowed by what you had pulled together so quickly in the fallout from the election that I was like, I have to meet this woman. I have to go to this brunch. <laughs> and when I saw you, I was like, oh, she's real. It was very exciting. It was, it it was, was very, very exciting to meet you. Yeah, I, w- I think that at that point we were all just trying to, like, get by and, like, really – I think it was, like, a, kind of being forced to put ourselves out there just yeah. as a way to, like, find other women who were like-minded and could help us cope. Um, so, anyway, I'm glad that we've had many interactions since then, and mm-hmm. we'll get we'll get more into your, I guess, community involvement, which is – pretty prominent, I would say, in our community Um, a little later, but I want to first talk about what you do. Um, When I first met you, you were a lawyer, and I mean, me, I'm a designer, so I feel like I don't really understand everything at play with (laughs) what lawyers do, so I'm like, oh, okay, she's a lawyer. (laughs) I I have literally nothing to talk to her about in regards to that, Uh, but then I guess one random afternoon, I ran into you outside of the Target. Um, oh, that's right. And then I yeah, yeah and then I said that I lost my job. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, wh- you're like, I'm working right around here. And I'm like, what are you doing? And <laughs> you're like, I work it? for a feminist law firm. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us a little about that and your career change? Well, not your career change, but your job change, why that happened and about the new place you're at. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I feel like in so many ways, this job was just tailor-made for me. Um, I have two children, which, Amy, I know that you know. I doubt the listeners know. But I have two kids, and I had been working previously five days a week for the city. I was an attorney for NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, 
And I was charged, myself and my colleagues, uh, prosecuted different cases on behalf of the housing authority. And um, it, it definitely, the work began to be really daunting. I took issue with some ways that the cases were approached. We did a variety of different cases from attempting to evict people for basic non-payment of rent to slightly more exotic cases involving drug busts or assaults. Those were less regular, but nonetheless, I had begun, particularly after November, I forced myself to take stock of what I was doing professionally. And I had a lot of soul searching I felt to do um, in terms of deciding where exactly I wanted my career to go. And there was one particularly rough day in court where I, I felt like I just didn't agree with what um, my supervisors were asking me to do with a particular case. Like, it was definitely within the bounds of the law, but I felt like it could have been handled much differently and much more humanely. And then mm-hmm. I went to the bathroom and I texted my friend and now boss, Susan Crumiller, and I was like, Susan, do you still have a job for me because I'm ready to jump ship? And that was it. And Susan, you know, Susan and I met. It's like women for other women in our local moms group. And we have kids that are almost exactly the same age. And I said, forget it. I don't want to, you know, work this job anymore. I feel like I could be doing more meaningful work somewhere else. And Susan gave me that opportunity. But also... Mm You know, just Susan is a very compassionate, reasonable supervisor. She has allowed me to work part-time and work from home as much as I want. So just in terms of having two very small children at home, that's amazing. That's just, it, it, that sort of flexibility and freedom is very hard to come by. So our yes. firm focuses largely on pregnancy discrimination, gender discrimination, and sexual harassment. So it's a very, very different practice area from what I did previously, but I am obsessed with my cases. I think about them at night. I think about the women that I'm representing, you know, like when I wake up in the morning, when I'm getting the kids (laughs) ready for school. It is an incredibly satisfying practice area for me. That's amazing. And you're so lucky to have such an empathetic boss. I feel like that's one of the pluses of having a female boss. They oh, know the kind of shoes that you're in, and yeah. especially if it's a friend of yours, someone who takes a personal interest in your life. That's oh, yeah. so great. Uh, tell How did Susan kind of get into focusing on this particular issue, and how long has this firm been focusing on more women-specific cases? Well, it's funny, Susan, I I say to her all the time, I was like, how does it feel to be so amazing? Because she is amazing. (laughs) I know you raved about her so much. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's, you know, there are people that talk about doing things and there are people that actually do them. And Susan absolutely falls into the category of person who actually does what she wants to do. Um, Susan was employed previously at another law firm, interestingly, much like myself, that focused on, like, landlord-tenant issues, you know, also yeah. practiced in lower Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, so I would see her, actually, in court when I was at NYCHA, and she was at her old firm. She had a falling out with her supervisor um, over her maternity leave, and she 
realized, I mean, it, it was a real watershed moment for her, um, that this is something that other women experience, and there are many women who aren't as upwardly mobile as she is just to be able to say, okay, I'm going to leave my job and start a law firm exclusively dedicated to these issues. Because now I have been on the receiving end of management who is not respectful of my role as a mother, my time as a parent, and I do not want to be a part of this. And even more so, I feel like I could help fix this for other women. Yeah. Or fathers as well. You know, that's not to say that, you know, a father couldn't come to us who felt like he was discriminated against as well. So you focus on gender and pregnancy discrimination lawsuits, and you and I know that the family leave in New York is one of the most, um, I guess, generous policies that are in the state. So tell us a little bit about, like, what the rights are of someone who needs to take family leave in New York and how it's better than other states. So right. Well, know, like, what they have. Sure. It's really, it, it's such a gift. And it's still, it's not um, as, even as much as I would like, um, yeah. because it would have been amazing if this could have been in place years ago. But still, forward momentum is forward momentum. So the, uh, the New York Page Family Leave Act, it's starting to be phased in between 2018 and 2021. And okay. ultimately, by the time 2021 comes to pass, um, individuals who want to take leave will be able to do so over a 52-week period of their choosing, which is huge because in the past and even now, many employers require employees to only take blocks of time, and then that's it. Yeah. They're capped out. Now, by law, people will be granted the ability to take, say, for instance, four weeks in the beginning, four weeks you know, like two months from then and then four weeks, you know, like three months after that, anytime within a 52-week period. And uh, it's paid, which is huge. I have friends who are attorneys who were not able to afford to take more than two months off. You know, these individuals, like, work for nonprofits, and, you know, you're in that for the love of the game, but as a consequence, you don't have the financial flexibility to take more time off. For instance, the full 12 weeks that's available through uh, the Family Medical Leave Act, that's, you know, uh, that gives you 12 weeks unpaid. They weren't even able to take that because their finances only allow them to take eight weeks. This is such a game changer. So it also phases in um, the amount that individuals will be paid. It it caps out at like 50% of the, you know, in 2018 it's 50% of what the employee takes home. And by the time that 2021 comes to pass, God willing, we'll have uh, people paid 67% of okay. what their uh, paycheck is. So, That's a huge difference. Huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah. And then so. if Kirsten Gillibrand's um, Family Act passes, that will pretty much be federal. I mean, her act is pretty equivalent to what we have in New York now, and yeah. that would be great because it would be at a national level. Correct. So Correct. the other things that you specialize in are – um, more in regards to sexual harassment. And I wanted to ask you 
I mean, a lot of us women work for, when we work for male bosses, there's a lot of situations of them not understanding what's appropriate, especially if they're, I would say, more old school. I'm thinking of my own particular (laughs) case, which I've discussed. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of, like, not understanding what is appropriate to say to a young woman working for you and why you would not want to do that. And you may think something's funny, but it's absolutely not appropriate at all. So I wanted to ask you, what is your advice that you would give to women who are dealing with this just on a variety of situations, whether it be like salary, they don't feel like they're getting paid enough, or what would be equivalent to what men in the office for the same position are getting paid, or if it's just a situation of the untoward comments given maybe once a year, maybe more regularly than that, what would you say that these women should do? Oh, sure. I mean, two pieces of advice instantaneously come to mind. Uh, A squeaky wheel and document, document, document. I have, I'm currently in the process of litigating a case where um, a woman was the recipient of the most vile language constantly in the workplace. And she took screenshots of all the texts that she received, saved emails um, that included really, really graphic language. You know, graffiti started appearing in the restroom that she utilized. So document, 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 because although you definitely do not want to be in the position of sitting in my office and explaining to me exactly what occurred, your case ultimately will be that much stronger if I am able to say to opposing counsel, what are we going to do to resolve this situation? Because I have and I have seen X, Y, and Z which is indisputable that, you know, this language was present in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. in regards to, like, salary differentials, be clear and be strong and be loud and repetitive. Woe betide the person where, you know, there are two individuals who are doing the same job, but for some reason employee A, who is a man, and employee B is a woman, and employee A makes more. Bring it up to your supervisor and memorialize it in an email. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Have you dealt with any cases where, um, let's say a woman has, I mean, I mean, obviously you have attorney-client privilege, but, I mean, how common do you find it that a woman is on maternity leave and then comes back and is facing a position that's less than what she had before or she feels like she's being held back. I mean, because that's what they say is like one of the most prominent reasons why there's such a salary um, discrepancy between men and women. Oh, that's absolutely the case that, I mean, I, I actually like, yes, I have seen that in the context of my job, but also Mm -hmm. I've seen that myself. I definitely did not move forward as quickly as I would have liked. 
because I took time off to be with my children. Um, and that absolutely contributed to me getting promotions. And it, it wasn't, this is like well-trod territory, but like it wasn't because I wasn't performing. It wasn't because I was meeting expectations. It was literally because there was a time differential in the amount of time that my supervisor said you have to be in the office and because I was on maternity leave, I was not eligible to move forward, which is just unfortunate because then I was faced yeah. with the circumstance where I had colleagues who were as strong litigators as I was, you know, like we were all competing at the same level, and I was nonetheless paid less, and that was incredibly frustrating. And it's such a cultural thing, too. Like, in America, particularly in the New York area, there's such an emphasis put on working overtime and, like, yes. There, it's just such an insane work culture as compared to Europe, where in Europe you take a year off after you have a baby and you go back and it's, you know, you can like flow right back into what you were doing and it's not like you're expected to work like 12-hour days, which is basically impossible if you're a mother. Oh, yeah. Like, um, so another one, something that poisoned the well at my prior workplace was actually when I returned back working full-time after I had spent several months, or more than several months, I guess it was closer to a year, working part-time. My Mm -hmm. supervisor at the time didn't even have a conversation with me about bringing me back full-time. He just sent out an email one day where my name appeared on the schedule five days a week. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, I guess he wants me to come back full time now. Um, yeah, I mean, it warrants the conversation. Like, this is a lifestyle. Like, this is your life. It's not like you can just suddenly be on call and be like, oh, okay, then I guess I'm going to have to find, you know, a caretaker exactly. for my kids, like, for more Precisely. hours. Precisely. Um, and he, uh, he, he is a he. And I feel like his perspective is, uh, his perspective is one that's fairly typical of male managers, at least in my experience. You know, I, I've been practicing for almost 10 years. And mm-hmm. there, you know, at times is this disconnect between like the need for clear communication, particularly surrounding schedules. Because mm-hmm. of the lack of like um understanding that of like what female caretakers really need to do to get their family up and running, and you know like yeah. that need to be in place, it's like well, I need to find the babysitter or I need to find the daycare, and I need to find someone to pick up my son on certain days you know there's there's things that have to happen um which I feel like some people don't always appreciate. Yeah, and that's another reason why having more women in senior positions or in more management roles is beneficial for everybody as well because they're Absolutely. just they have that understanding of what all goes into, you know, family management, I would say, not that fathers don't. Oh, yeah. But I mean it's just more instinctual um that it would occur to them, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, if Plus, you're in the position of 
being the individual who manages your household, then yes, as a manager in the workplace, you would be like, oh, maybe I should have a conversation with my employee about the fact that I would like to come back to work full time. You know, it's like a little more noted. And again, these aren't, what's so troubling about this conversation is that these aren't revolutionary points. It's just recognizing, you know, the very fundamental role that parents play in the world and recognizing that certain very, very small accommodations need to be made, like having a conversation, like even bigger, perhaps allowing, you know, work to be done at home, at night, after the kids go to bed, if your practice area allows for it. There are certain accommodations that could be in place that for some reason management doesn't consider. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's not, they don't see how it's, I mean, it is in their interest to consider, but not like the short-term interest. It's more in like a long-term interest, like retaining excellent employees and having the diversity in the workplace that you need. So speaking of like more women (laughs) in prominent roles, um, let's talk about more women on the bench. Um, yes, let's talk about more women on the bench. <laughs> bench warmers in the best possible sense. <laughs> 100%. Um, I, one day, I hope to be a bench warmer myself. Um, within and I'm the next, sure you like, will be. You know, from your mouth to God's ear, but that, that is definitely my professional goal. Um, and, yes, women, um, in particular women of color, uh, which I am not, but nonetheless, statistically, women, and especially women of color, are vastly underrepresented in the judiciary in all mm-hmm. levels, federal, state, civil court, criminal court, uniformly underrepresented. And much like the conversation that we were just having, Women on the judiciary have the potential to provide just a completely additional worldview that is sorely, sorely lacking at this moment. Um, and I hope to be able to rectify that. Like, it was heartening because this past um, September 12th, uh, there was an overwhelming amount of women, in particular women of color, who were elected mm-hmm. to seats or re-elected, as the case may be. And I feel like it's a step in the right direction. But it's funny because yeah. there is a pushback that I have been hearing from certain people that, you know, like, it's sour grapes, you know, like older white yeah. men grumbling, oh, you can't get elected if you're not a black woman in Brooklyn these days. To which I say, but how long has it been impossible for a black woman to be elected. That's exactly. The, like the an issue, overcorrection needs to happen. Yes, exactly, exactly. The issue is not that, you know, you, individual who has enjoyed certain privileges for many, many years, to the extent that you don't even fully appreciate that, mm-hmm. it's, the issue is not that you may have trouble becoming elected. I think we need to look at how judiciary is changing in a way that it needs to act also accurately represent the litigants that are before them. 
you know, if you're yeah. in housing court and if you're in criminal court, you are going to have an incredibly diverse body of people coming before you, men, women, all different races. You need to be a person of those communities. You need to be able to recognize and appreciate you know, just the, like, say, for instance, we had someone elected from our neighborhood, my neighborhood being specifically the Greater Zipmas Park, Midwood yeah. area. She very much wanted to be a person elected to the bench to represent her specific area because she wanted to be an individual who um, people would see as like, oh, you're a force from the community. I appreciate that. And I hope, you know, she was elected which is amazing, and I, I hope to be the same thing eventually. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, it's like out-of-touch white men had their chance for hundreds of years. And oh, yeah. our criminal justice justice system is pretty fucked up thanks to that. So, I, yeah, time for some other people to have their chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the most satisfying events my husband and I had at our home was a fundraiser for the district assembly leader, Josh Pierre, but it was specifically geared to the legal and judicial community. And we had maybe a half a dozen people who were running for judicial positions. And it was so amazing that almost all of them were women, I think with the exception of one person. They were all That women. is amazing. It was great. And what I said to them was, I mean, it's no secret that my goal is eventually to become a judge, but I was very earnest with them. I said, I feel like I I hope to be able to stand on the shoulders of giants because you are doing what was previously impossible. So it's it's, it's a tremendous feeling. So you are a judicial delegate now, correct? That is correct, yes. So tell me a little bit about what that entails, because I really don't know at all. (laughs) Yeah, well, a judicial delegate is an interesting role, because it's very discreet. It only is, you're elected for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to um, vote on the incoming New York State Supreme Court justices. And the judicial convention occurred a couple of weeks ago, and it was it was eye opening because it was clear that the uh, people that were running for these positions uh, to be uh, justices of the New York State Supreme Court, which interestingly is the lowest level state supreme court. So you think like, okay. oh, New York State Supreme Court justices, they're going to be like the top of the top, but that's actually not. Mm-hmm the reverse. But either way, you could tell that um, the they were incredibly well vetted and that this was just their moment to pull it all together. So it, it was interesting to see it play out. And when did you when did you get elected as a judicial delegate? On uh, just September twelfth. September twelfth. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations by the way. Why thank you. Um, and how long is I, that term for? Two years, two years, and okay. I can identify so desire. But it's funny, like, I uh, ran unopposed, and obviously this is an unpaid position. It comes with no bells and whistles. But I was just so mad after this past November's election that I was like, well, yeah. I guess I'm going to run for something now. Yeah, it's like this time to get involved. 
Yeah, it's, you know, uh, and my feeling is it's kind of like this need to throw yourself into things to make it better. Yeah, it's so true. And, I mean, I'm so, I guess, heartened to see so many women doing this in whatever way they can because everybody knows their own strengths and weaknesses and, like, what they can bring to the table. And I love seeing the diversity of that, like, and just also just growing and learning from each other. Like, I have no, no idea about anything that you do as, you know, a lawyer or a judicial delegate, even though, I mean, obviously you just told me, but it's like learning from each other is so important, too, so that we can also then, you know, empower each other. And I, I will say this. I completely agree, especially our group, BBD. It's so Mm -hmm. inspirational because it has encouraged me to be fearless. I did not know much about the practice area that I'm now involved with before I joined Susan's firm. Um, And I was like, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this to the best of my ability, and I do my silly power stances in my office when no one is there. Um, Mm -hmm. and it makes me feel better and it makes me feel empowered and you just, you do it. You you do what you can and you go from there. You do it and you know that you have like your girl gang there to cheer you on and support you. Oh, yeah. Even if they're like, I have no idea what it means that what you're doing, but you're doing it and it's amazing. So just like having that support system is so important. So I'm telling you, if you don't have a girl gang, go out and get one, or you can join Broken Bosom Bitches or War, <laughs> since this is the This Is War podcast. So, Caroline, I also wanted to talk to you about the other ways you're involved in your community, um, particularly the social justice salons. So, tell us how you kind of started doing that and just what it is. Yeah, so it was my friend Ann Steinfeld Rogova's idea to start this quarterly event series. And it was basically that things um, after November were just so dark and disheartening that we needed to do something to bring positivity um, just into, like, our little community, but also um, help raise a little bit of money. Like, so it's a mixed-media art salon where people come and present ev- everything and anything, music, visual art, poetry, you know, monologues. We've had skits performed. It's really, <laughs> really fun. Um, people come, they pay whatever they want at the door, $5.00. You know, the money gets donated to nonprofit, you know, that we suggest or that they suggest that they want will donate on their behalf. And mm-hmm. it's just really, it's really fun and it gets people together and it gives people an opportunity to showcase their artwork that is specifically geared to political discourse. And it doesn't have yeah. to be about like the ACA necessarily. It could be about mm-hmm. like how you're feeling, you know, as a result of, you know, like, Trump's bullying tweets. It could be really yeah. anything that you want it to be, so long as in your head it's in some way attributable to the political environment that we're currently uh, contending with. I have to say, um, when I went to the first one, 
I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. And I mean, you know, I, I roped someone into that I had gone on like two dates with into like doing art for that salon. I was like, Which my was friend so was having great. This- like, I loved it. <laughs> so he like did a painting. Um, and then I like, I showed up and during the spoken word portion, there was a man who wrote, I guess it was prose. It wasn't like a poem, but it was more prose. It, he called it no better rate. And I honestly started bawling. Like I had to walk out of the room. I don't know if I ever told you that, but you then didn't. No. I started crying and cause it was so raw and so hard, like just, it really touched me particularly and it was also it just felt so good to hear someone else expressing the same I guess like angst and heartache and vulnerability that I also felt and I went up to him after the salon and I like or I guess like after everybody was done performing and I told him and he like pulled it out of his pocket and just gave me the copy. And oh, I, I didn't still, realize that. And I still have it, like, on my nightstand, and I still read it, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, it was very powerful. So I I can't believe I never told you this, but, I mean, I really, really, really appreciate these salons that you do. I feel like it's And that is exactly perfect. What, that's exactly what we created them for. You know, just giving people an opportunity because there aren't really many safe spaces where people yeah. could perform or present in front of others and have it be just a warm, supportive environment. You know, just like yeah. come together. You know, we we are friends even if we're not friends yet, and just share yeah. with us. Yeah, I love it. I love that you're doing that, and it's just like a different tone. Like you're saying, it's a different tone than having a protest or having some strategy meeting or like running for office. It's just like we really need all of it because we need to coalesce to get to take action, but also to make each other feel better. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm all about um, providing people with like, to the extent that I can, with like a warm, secure place just to be. And if yeah. I could do that through the salon, then mission accomplished. Absolutely. Yes. Well, you're doing a great job. Um, do what I can. <laughs> yes, we all do. So, okay. I think that covers it. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Of course. And I can't wait to hear everything that the future holds for you. I'm sure it's all wonderful things. And, um, yeah, I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, I hope you have a great weekend, too. I think I may see you this weekend. Um, really? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> like, I honestly don't even know. Oh, my God, I'm going to see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I cannot remember my schedule at all. Okay, all right. So I'm um, gonna do a little outro here. Do 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 do.